755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome, 755 is real. Glad to have you back here on our latest edition of the Shutdown Shows. I'm uh, David O'Brien, Braves writer with The Athletic, and I'm with my co-host Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever. What's going on, Eric? Nothing, man. Nothing at all, really. How about you? Hey, not much. You want to share with people the uh, video you sent me the other day of the bear chasing you into the water, basically? <laughs> <laughs> man, I was Eric. just I was, I was fishing in my backyard, and I hear somebody Eric. yelling my voice, and it sounds like they're you know they're really far <laughs> away. And uh, it's my neighbor. She's screaming down. Her house looks down between the trees at mine, so she could see me out there. And my neighbor's dog had just been going crazy, barking and and you know just making a just a ruckus. And she screams down. She goes, "Eric, there's a bear." I was like, "A bear?" <laughs> you know, Eric lives in Seattle, outside yeah. Seattle. People, yeah, I live outside Seattle. And um, I turn around. The bear's already in my yard, just just <laughs> cruising down, just. It doesn't look too disturbed. Black I mean, a black bear, yeah, it's a black bear. I mean, I don't know. You know, everybody tells you black bear's better, but none of those stats really <laughs> mattered to me in that moment. I was like, oh shit, this thing could kill me. I the mean, we, it could be on right now. Didn't yeah, I, the bear scouting report went right out the window when it when I was face to face with him. So I was probably about maybe fifty feet away from him when I turned around, sixty feet, and um, he kind of went back and forth a little bit. Then he went out on my neighbor's dock. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, I'm just standing there trying not to, you know, lose my lose my stuff. And he kind of goes and walks around in a few circles. And I'm just frozen, man. I, like, I don't even know what I'm going to have to do. I'm thinking if he comes over this way or goes on my dock, I know I probably can't outrun him. Uh, I'm going to have to just jump in the water or whatever. <laughs> and luckily, he kind of, you know, he moves around a little bit, sniffed around. Uh, yeah, cool. That'll help. You know, I, I had no plan at all. I... <laughs> And like I said, you know, every, the scouting report was gone, but luckily, man, he jumped in the water. And when he jumped in, I just sprinted up to my, uh, up to my deck. Cause I figured he'd at least be kind of slow in the water, but man, a damn bear, you know, I dude, was, that's crazy. It was, it was like, there's wild animals everywhere in cities these days though, with, the, every, with the streets shut down and no traffic. They're getting comfortable. They are. Uh, my neighbors had a bobcat on their dock, just kind of hanging out. It's, wow. There's cougars in the neighborhood. It's we got to get back to action just to get them. You know, the car noise that scares them away. I think. But did yeah, you see I the? Wasn't ready for that. Did you see the video? I, I forgot what country it was in with the elephants crossing the road. No. There was a line of like, dude, you've never seen so many elephants together in your life, except for out in the in Africa on the plains. But there were like, must have been forty. Elephants, single file, cross this main road. There were people lined up in cars on either end, maybe a hundred yards away from them in each side, and a line of of elephants walking right across the road. Where was that? <laughs> I don't know where it was. It was crazy. Oh. People were videotaping it. Yeah, they're coming Same back. Si- the dolphins in Italy, things like that. Uh, we uh, Same if you'd had a baseball, we- you could have dotted that black bear right between the eyes, dude. You still got that. I would have missed. (laughs) I would have missed. I don't have it. Every time I go to throw now, it hurts. And I just, I promise I'm not going to pick up a ball again for a while. It's deflating. We're going to, now, other than bears, we're going to discuss how baseball could possibly get going pretty soon here and the possible format that's been discussed a lot lately. And we're going to have another of the Q&A segments that have become popular on the podcast during the COVID-19 shutdown. Um 
But first, we're going to have a comprehensive preview of the Korean League season that ESPN announced it will broadcast. Eric, what's your picks in the Korean League? I'm just kidding. Do some. It's the only team I know. Maybe we'll preview the Korean playoffs if there's no MLB by then. I watched a little bit of that game last night. Did you really? Yeah, I was up. It was a it was well, awkward, man, with no fans. Yeah, I was going. I was. I forgot to turn it on. I was going to ask what it was like with no fans. It was awkward. And it, the weirdest thing was, you know, the grounds crew and stuff. They were still wearing face masks, but none of the players were. So it kind of just seemed <laughs> stupid yeah. to me. But yeah, uh, man, you just you watch a game and you realize how important having you know to set the atmosphere and everything to have fans yeah. in there is. It's going to be awkward, especially if if baseball comes back without fans after watching that last night. I was like, man, this kind of sucks. It's going to. It's going to suck. But it's it'll be baseball. To, at least initially. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get, we'll get used to it, man. I mean, at I least I think they were even playing like background it. noise, too. <laughs> they were. They were playing some kind of fan noise, like just light, light noise. It was really weird. Marlins players are, you know, they're going, hey, much <laughs> might be louder than our home games. But uh, listen, first up today, though, we're going to talk umpires what they make, how they get paid, and the blessed possibility of video replay being dropped, if only for this really unusual season ahead. Because, you know, I don't like video replay, and Eric's not a huge fan of it either, but I really don't like it. Yeah, I, I just don't – I don't know what the numbers are, but it feels like however many replays you do, 25% of them they get right. You know, and, and half of them they don't they overturn, overturn even though everyone in the – Okay, and yeah. then the other yeah. the half the other half that they don't overturn the whole crowd and and everybody in the stadium can see what the call should be, and then there's some yeah. kind of you know it's not convincing enough. We don't overturn it, and it's and it yeah. takes four minutes to still get the call wrong. Yeah, the half that they overturn are just so obvious that there were just bad calls. I mean, you know, most of those are really yeah really obvious. You're right though; they don't turn overturn so many important ones if they're. If it's not absolutely a hundred percent convincing evidence, you know, but everybody can yeah, see. Yeah, if there's it. any question, they just leave it. I, I think it's kind of yeah. like protecting the umps and not wanting it to is. look too bad, but it's not. I don't. You got to have it. Uh, it's got to happen like where it's at least ninety percent of the yeah. time they get it right. It can't be fifty or twenty-five. But anyway, the reason that they're having the reason that we'll get into why they're going to drop it for this year, probably. Um, AP first reported this a couple of days ago, that replay reviews could vanish in 2020 as part of the deal that umpires struck with baseball late last week. It, and it contemplates a possible, quote, monastery setup in which off-the-field movement is restricted because of COVID-19. We've talked about that, the the uh, hermetically sealed bubble situation that Arizona, that plan, which is probably not going to happen in Arizona like it initially was, but it could happen in a variety of parks. Uh, anyway, the agreement that they, that MLB struck with the uh, umpires lays out how umps would be paid in a shortened or canceled season. Um, and it was kind of telling. They, I didn't realize umpires are pay are paid January. They're paid twelve months a year, not like base, not like players. You guys are paid what seven months a year, six six months a year. Yeah, but I think coaches are paid uh, twelve months a year too. I think yeah, I think that varies organization to organization. I think yeah, we we get to, you wouldn't get your first check till the season started, but mm-hmm. you know it's so much money. It doesn't. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> the umpires, the umpires don't make that much, but they make a hell of a lot of money compared to just your average normal folks here in re, in, in regular jobs. The umpires 
They've been paid their full salaries January through April. They're getting they're getting in this deal they signed. They get guaranteed fifty percent of their salaries from May, but they won't be paid anything else if the season is canceled. But if there's if they do play the season, even a game totally changes. If they play a week before they shut it down again, it totally changes everything. But generally, they make and some of you might want to cover your ears here. Umpires make between one hundred ten thousand and four hundred thirty two thousand. The minimum MLB player salary is 563500 now. It's gone up a few times in the last 10 years. Um, our guy, Kenny Rosenthal at The Athletic, also listed some other pay and benefits that the umps receive in a normal year. And here's, the, here's some of them. They get a $12,000 licensing payment, which has already been paid in 2020. They get a $38,500 postseason bonus, and that's awarded to all the umps, whether they have a postseason assignment or not which really kind of seems silly to me. I mean, why is it even a bonus then? Um, yeah. You know, just put it in the salary. Those selected <laughs> to work playoff games received the additional pay. They get 13200 for a wild card game, 22000 for working a division series, twenty seven five for working an LCS, and 31350 for working the World Series. Um, and then here's one I wasn't aware of too. You probably knew this one, but they the umps get a $500 per diem to cover hotels and clubhouse dues. Now, if they paid regular hotel rates in some places, that wouldn't be that much because sometimes we can go to Boston. You might not get a good hotel yeah. for under 400 sometimes. But the MLB uh, works out really good rates for the umpires. Really good. <laughs> Believe me, I know these discounts they get. They, they, they Marriott Properties, Starwood Marriott Properties now. Really great rates. So that $500 per diem. They're coming away. I mean, they can spend a few hundred dollars on meals if they wanted to. So they're making some money off that too. Uh, plus, they pay. They also have to pay the clubhouse dues of ninety dollars per day. But if they want, as you know, they could eat a meal or two at that if they wanted to at the clubhouse. I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. I bet you know. So, actually, I think the ump show up at like five o'clock, six o'clock. So they probably just yeah. eat, you know, like a pregame and a postgame. Right. But that's still two meals. Yeah. Eric, explain why they pay $90 for clubhouse dues. Some people out there might be going, why are they paying for clubhouse dues? It's because they get all the perks too, you know. Yeah. I mean, the clubhouses are, it's not just, they're just not just doing your laundry. I mean, they do your laundry, but there's food right. laid out. There's all kinds of snacks. They, Beers. They're like a concierge too. You know, you're paying yeah. for, if you need anything, they'll get it done. You need your dry cleaning. You need a taxi right. lined up. I mean, Clubbies make the baseball world go round. You don't have to do anything. Yep. You know, if you're if you're in uniform, everything's taken care of. You just show up and put your stuff on. I couldn't believe it yep. when I got to just AAA and, and guys were done with their clothes. They just throw them in these bins because usually you know you usually use a laundry loop, but a loop, but where you just put it through all your clothes and they put it right uh-huh. back in your locker. You hang your stuff up yourself. You get to the big leagues, guys just throw their clothes everywhere. It's the clubbies are running yep. around just picking it up, sorting it out. I mean, they're yep. like they almost turn into like your own, you know mom or something like that doing all your dirty work so that's why it's so high because of the amount of work they do for you and one of the club is usually it's a good one is assigned to the umpire room as well yeah they, they'd have uh they'd usually either have one of the home guys that mm-hmm. i think it was josh hall when i was with atlanta he'd be running back uh-huh. and forth from so they'd get a, a clubby from the home side and he'd have to kind of work it in but right you know those guys are working for tips so they bend over backwards for yeah. everybody so they treat the umpires basically better, almost like they treat the players better, and they can because there's only four of them, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, they hook them up. And they're eating the same so, food as us. 
Right, exactly. So that ninety dollars, they get they're getting plenty for the ninety bucks. Because with the umpires, I mean, they get done. They they got a sweaty uniform on. It's not like they're going to ride back to the hotel in the uniform. They shower and change there. And yeah, I'm guessing they tip too. So they're probably paying hundred twenty, hundred fifty a day. Right, right. Hey, while we're on that subject, there's a. It's no among players. Does it get around because it does eventually? If a guy's really like either excessive or really tight with the tips it gets out people hear about yeah. that clubbies clubbies oh, yeah. let people know about that kind of thing <laughs> when, that, when like a big league starter tips him 100 bucks at the end of the year and there's a reliever tipping him 3,000 <laughs> yeah exactly it gets around quick but i remember like uh you'd hear about which of the visiting clubbies uh visiting players tipped really well i mean guys yeah. really respect players for doing that Guy that makes a lot of money, and if he doesn't tip accordingly, they get they get a bad rep among the clubbies. Yeah, and you know, if you're like a young guy or something like that, or a relief pitcher, and you're making you know a lower salary, they don't right. expect much from you. But if you're making twenty mil and you're tipping the same as the the call ups, yeah, it gets around quick. But some guys I'm do not- it, man, and it's almost it's kind of funny to listen to a bitch about it. You know, even though it's a <laughs> dick move, you know, some guy making fifteen million and a bullpen catcher will catch him. You know, probably. 60 bullpens during the year just get smoked with scud balls and beat up back there. Then the yeah. year he gives them a little thank you envelope and the, the bullpen catcher's thinking it's going to be like, you know, five, 10 grand and there's 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, uh, Dar- I heard what Darren Dalton used to tip, man. It was lavish. He would like every clubhouse he yeah. went to, he gave the guy, just pulled it off the, you know, the roll at the yeah. end of it. Jay Beauty used to give people chicks. cars and stuff. Who did? Jay Buhner used to give the club a car. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's, I mean, it's completely, yeah. you know, the amount of money Fluffed going it. every direction is just crazy anytime you're in that atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they used to do it. Guys would peel off bills off a roll, but I, doesn't everybody pretty much write checks now? Does? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's, I wrote off all my clubhouse dues because you'd look at it at the end of the year and you uh-huh. paid like 15000 in clubhouse dues. Right, you get the taxes back on that. So I always wrote it all off, but I think a lot of guys do still do some cash and some not. But meal money's not as much as it used to be, so you're yeah. not walking around with as much cash anymore. If you're making fifteen, twenty, twenty-five million, though, you don't really care about getting the taxes no. at the end of the year. <laughs> Shit, it adds up, especially if you're giving people five thousand. Hey, you know they had a uh, they had an ATM. I know they didn't have ATMs when you were playing yet. Do they in the clubhouse in a couple of the clubhouses? Not in the clubhouse. You had to go up to the concourse. They had one in the clubhouse at uh, the first one I saw was in Miami. They have it in the visiting clubhouse in Miami. They have a club. They have a ATM right there as you're going into <laughs> the, in, before move. you go into the dining room. Right there, yeah. So well, we're in there, and uh, Matt Kemp's like, "I'm fixing to go take a thousand dollars out of this ATM because I can." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, MLB negotiates these rates for the umps. Um, like I said, uh, oh, spring training, the umps. I didn't realize what they get paid for that. Not nearly as much as you might have think, but it's kind of like players. Players don't get paid at all for spring training, right? Well, you get meal money, and it's it's way higher right. than the season. Yeah, it's like a okay. thousand a week or something like that. So, I mean, you get sixty five hundred or something for spring training usually. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, you're not because you ain't spending all that money on meals at spring training. No. Um, but yeah, they get they get a hundred dollars a day for crew chiefs spring training, a hundred dollars per day starting with the regular umpires sixteenth game and continuing through his maximum twenty second. 
uh, a total that can reach seven hundred dollars. Uh, crew chiefs also earn premiums for regular season games as well, which I didn't realize that crew chiefs got a little more than uh, regular ups. Uh, in addition, this is some pretty big stuff here. Baseball contributes quite a bit to the ump's retirement. About 20000 per season for any umps who carried over from the league's previous pension plan and about 50000 per year for those who reached the majors after that plan no longer was in effect. That's quite a bit of coin, man. Yeah, baseball is really good at that. Um, yeah. I did the pre, we could do like a pre tax max every year and the team would match it. And they'd also match anything you went over it. But, you know, you know most players just do like the pre tax max. I think it's like 17,000 or something like that. And the team matches it. So nice. And then there's something nice. to do with like the, the most recent couple agreements they had where revenue sharing money or some kind of other money, um, teams that do really well have to put it in a pot for players too. So, I mean, my Vanguard, I probably put 20% in and the teams put 80 in. Wow. Nice. Uh, but then, you know, we're looking at, I'm talking about what these umpires make and then people out there are going, oh man, I want to be an umpire. Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. But it should be, as Kenny noted, I'm glad he did. The pay is really attractive for big league umps, but it's kind of like players, man. Yep. It's a very small percentage of them get to be big league umps. And the umps spend years in the minors, generally racking up debt in the minors, kind of like going to med school. They're earning a top salary of $20,000 in AAA. Well, and they don't get old. You know, they get old, but they don't get too old to be an ump. So it's yeah. even less opportunity. Yeah, exactly. You know, players, exactly. you can yeah. count on guys hitting 40 and they're done. Umps can ump till they're 65. They're like judges. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and they don't get fired either. So, you know, it's, it takes a guy yeah. to retire. It's, I wouldn't, I mean, it's not the, it's a tough line of work to get into. And everybody hates you. Yeah, they don't get fired. Case in point, Joe West. Yeah. Angel Angel Hernandez. On and on. <laughs> I think Bill Hahn did, though. I think he kind of got ushered out. Yeah. Uh, once they reach the majors, and the other thing is, as much as players are away from uh, their families, umps might be away even more, you know, because they're moving around. They don't have a home, Mm-mm. you know, they don't have a home series like every other week and all that. No so they're away from their year. families a lot for seven months out of the year. Except they get four weeks of vacation, so stressful, stressful job, kind of thankless. They don't have the adoring fans like players do. I would hate to be an uh, ump. <laughs> quite the opposite. Most of them are hated. A lot of them are hated. If you, the ump's that you don't know, that's kind of what you want to be. Ideally, <laughs> you don't want people to know your name because if they do, most of the time it's because you're bad. There's some that are good, but most fans don't know the good ones. You don't know any of the, the good ones, you know, norm- no. and there's never a story about it. Like what a great game right. they called. It's it's kind of like being a relief pitcher where you only really stand out if you blow the game or you're the, the big dog, yep. you know, it's been forever. But yeah. the rest of the time, if you're an up, you just want to blend in. Are you, well, some of them that are attention seekers don't, but there's not you're many right. of those. Those are the ones' last. names, you know. Yeah, the ones we just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> um, and their union is really kind of sensitive to any kind of perceived – uh, infringement on their rights, you know, getting what they're, they're owed the, the salaries. And so they looked, you know, they, they fought last week on this thing. I mean, it's a big deal, but at the same time, the last time that umpires threatened to, you know, re- resign MLB years ago, MLB said, okay, hand in the resignations and they replaced them. So they can't, they don't have the leverage that players do. They have some, but not like players. 
No, but I don't know if you'd want to sit through a game of nope uh, replacement. These guys are. That's the one thing. No, no chance. I I don't think so. I I don't. I think it's it kind of gets overlooked because they have to be perfect to to not get exposed. But the umps are so damn good. I mean, if you look at the 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 boxes and all the stuff on TV, a pitch will miss by a centimeter, and they get it right a lot. Mm. You know, it's just it's one of the hardest jobs. It's probably the hardest job in baseball calling balls and strikes, but. They're pretty damn good at it, you know. I, I I know people are hard on them, and then it's frustrating, but it's hard to appreciate how good they are at their job. You don't want to see, you don't want to see some of these minor league gums that are trying to figure it out up there in the big leagues. Yeah, it's no different than you know when you had replacement players in the majors. Right. That didn't, and and after a spring training of that, the owners are like, we can't do this. We can't run <laughs> these guys out there. It's noticeable. Um, and it's noticeable when you get a new hump up sometimes too, and they're and they're like deer in, in the headlights, you yeah. know. And they're making bad calls, and you, you and you're like, a guy just came up, you know. <laughs> Some um, of those guys are so nervous they forget the signal, you know. Like they try to call out, and they're so nervous they call yeah. safe, and they can't take it back. That's why replay's good, I guess. Wow, but you're talking about how, how tough a job is too, and it's only gotten tougher too because I mean, yep. velocity, the pitch movement, and not to mention framing. I mean that didn't that didn't happen ten years ago. Framing and like, they're not allowed to call their own zone. You know, a yeah. lot of umps you say, "Well, that's my zone," and that was kind of you're off the hook. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you, you this guy just calls a high strike or whatever it is, and now it's like they got to get every single call right because of all the the tracking and everything that's available. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a tight zone now. Yeah, no doubt, getting tighter too. Um, worst case scenario, then for the umps, they're going to get four and a half months pay this year if the season is canceled. They're paid 12 months a year. They're getting half of the pay from May, and they've already got four months paid. So if it's canceled, they get nothing more than the half this month. Um, but they – so they've collected about a third of their salaries for 2020. And if they if they play the season, though, I mean, so they're – add them to the list of people that want a season to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there is still no timetable, obviously, for opening day or even the start of a second – shorter round of spring training to get going but a lot more discussion and each week it's getting closer it seems like uh are firming it up even though mlb says they're still discussing you know dozens of of options and scenarios the one that keeps coming up and you've probably heard this too is that three three division 10 games uh, 10 teams in each division scenario where teams play in their own ballparks no fans um and you know, I still don't know how they're going to play in some of these cities where there's a lot of COVID-19, like New York right now. But they're thinking by July 4th, if they can start the season by then, they might be able to do it. And with no fans again, but cutting, restricting the, it'd be cutting down dramatically on the traffic, on the uh, travel. Uh, the Braves would be in kind of, it's kind of odd. The Braves would be in the central division of the three, not the eastern division which would be all the cities in the Northeast plus the Florida teams. All the teams really kind of hugging the coast uh, if you go up and down. The Braves would be in the Central. So the travel for the Braves would be good. I mean, yeah. you know, they wouldn't have to go to New York and Philly and all these places that can be steaming hot in the summer, not to mention all the restrictions that are probably going to be in New York, you know, with COVID-19 and all that. Um, they would have to go up to like, uh, you know, all the way up to like Minnesota, but that's it's not that bad a flight at all. In Chicago, both no. Chicago's. Well, I like they it, work man. it out too, where it's it's convenient. You know, it's you're not going to go up, you're not going to go north and then back down south and then back right. up north. You kind of hit all, everywhere in an area, so it's and all yeah. those flights are short to begin with. Yeah, they used to be in the west. 
How about that? Oh, man. I know. Man, my miles, if they were still in the West, I'd have so many Delta miles if they covered the team when they were in the West Division. I'll never understand that. Yeah. Well, that was one of those things where, you know, teams were added and they had to, and they didn't have three divisions in each league. So they had to be either East or West. Yeah. And, and the East was already full. It's just so weird to be in a division too. different than your time zone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's going to be a season. We've talked about this, and I, I think more than ever, I'm thinking that even though we're starting to get it kind of inching up again with the number of cases and all that of COVID, it's not dropping like they hoped it would, but it seems like it's leveled off. Hopefully it'll stay that way even with all these states that are opening up. But I think the there will be because too. There's some protests yeah, going on. I know, man. It's crazy. It's cr- I think there will be because of the there's just for one reason. There's billions of dollars yeah. involved. Billions with a B, not an M. Um, and players and owners alike stand to lose an awful lot of money if they don't play even a shortened season. No, everybody's everybody wants this to happen. I don't. I, th- I don't see the players agreeing to less money though, just because the stadiums are empty. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to yeah. be. I think that's the biggest obstacle in setting this all up. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can work on the travel and which stadiums you're playing in and all those kind of details all you want, but the money's going to be the big thing. And if I just, I think that's the biggest hurdle for the players to accept, expect, uh, accept even less money um, than they're already taking, you know, prorated or whatever like right. that. But right. I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle. Cause they've already agreed to the prorated thing. So yeah. they're going to be paid by the game, but uh, or the, by the number of games, but MLB is talking about taking less because if there's no fans in the stands, then. Which I mean, I, I get that, you know, I get it, I, I get the logic behind yeah. it, but I just, you know, it's it's tough. It's going to be a tough, uh, tough negotiation. The only reason I would think that under normal circumstances, well, they wouldn't be asking them to take less under normal circumstances, but due to this extreme, yeah, uh, they're going to look bad. The players, they're look if bad. they end up, yep. if they end up not playing because they wouldn't take a cut, because there's, you know, if especially if owners start throwing. Uh, dollar figures out there and saying we're taking we're getting this much less and blah 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 and the players come back with we're not taking less and people are out here wanting to see baseball so bad so. every time there's anything like that i think players come out i think yeah. just because they you know there's kind of a they they don't speak out individually um yeah. enough but players always wind up looking bad in in these situations if, if they kind of hold out for more money and whatnot because you see so and so is making millions. You're making so much, but you know teams are making billions. So mm-hmm. it, it it never it's always ugly, and it never looks looks good on, and it usually looks worse on the players. And if you're one of the player reps, like one of the big guys, just ask Tom Glavin how how long people remember that shit. Right. They never. They never. A lot of some people never forget it. Yeah. Well, it's personal though. You know, it's with the team. It's it's there's not a specific human behind it that that's kind of representing it. But when a guy, a, per, a guy comes out and says, mm-hmm. you know, whatnot, then it's, it's so it's Tom Glavin or it's Mike Trout or it's Freddie Freeman actually saying this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an individual making millions of dollars. It's a lot easier for people to kind of get on their ass for it. But um, there's a lot of money going everywhere and it's, it's going to be ugly either way to see people fighting over money um, in this type of, you know, in this time with everything going on, but with 20% unemployment. Yeah. It's, it's bound to happen. It's the great depression. Yeah, it's bound to happen. And it's going to be ugly, and it's not going to look good or reflect well. And I think that's probably the biggest, you know, reason that everything's been so hush hush and will continue to be is because mm-hmm. I think it's They're pretty. About it. Yeah, it's pretty sensitive to mm-hmm. something you don't want out there. And ultimately, if it came right down to it, 
I think the players would cave in this they one would. scenario because a they you know they're not going to make any money if they don't play any more than they've already been. They're going to lose about four billion dollars, you know, in total salary if they don't play at all. Yeah, I mean, but their their leverage is how many people you think are tuning in to watch empty stadiums or replacement players. <laughs> oh, well, they're not even talking that. about playing replacement players though. They just wouldn't play the season if the players wouldn't agree. You know? Yeah. I haven't even heard of a scenario where they play with other players. Because <laughs> it's going to happen. Because I think because the players will just agree. Yeah. Um, there's been talk of possibly allowing fans by late in the season. They're obviously not going to start the season with any fans in the stands. And I, I, I just can't even imagine them being able to by the end of the season. But who knows? If it goes all the way to November, you know, and, or at least in the playoffs in November – if this season goes into October and the playoffs in November, maybe they could, maybe if things improve, but not the way things are going right now with the numbers of cases and deaths out there. I saw it was going to be like a neutral site type of thing, like like they are originally saying how yeah. they'd play the season, but it, I think it'd have to be that way anyway if it's going to be that late. Yeah, I think it has to be a neutral site thing to skip the travel and to not leave it up to chance as far as which teams get in. Say New York gets in. Yeah, say you they have, have a spike. That. Yeah, and say they have a spike in, you know, COVID again, like it was for a while, like it was for a long while there. It's still bad there. Yeah. You know, see, that's why you have to and, – and, and not to mention the weather. I mean, obviously the no, weather. No, the weather too, yeah. The weather's a big the factor. Weather, the weather's the biggest factor because yeah. you're not going to play playoff games in, in two-thirds of the cities in December or even late November. Minnesota in late November <laughs> – no thanks. <laughs> um, so uh, while nothing's been decided, like we said, plenty of options being explored. I, I still think that you know that 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 three that three division thing seems fairly likely among all the ones that have been discussed. Kenny, Kenny, uh, they asked his opinion on this roundtable thing. Kenny says what we kind of talked about too is. If he had to guess, he would say that you get started with a mini spring training, you know, about three weeks, sometime in June, uh, and you get and you're able to start uh, at the either at the team spring training sites or at the home ballparks because I hear that's real a, a legit option they're talking about is having that uh, spring training at the home ballparks too. They really don't know yet, and then opening day around July fourth, which would be perfect if you if you start on July fourth. Well, yeah, you could get. I mean, honestly, you could get ready for a season just doing inter squad. Yeah, it'd be it'd be pretty brutal to do it for, you know, two weeks straight of games of inter-squad right. games. But you're just trying to get guys up to game speed. And they've already played some spring training games. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost been another off season, though. It's it's going to be awkward. I think a lot of guys are just going to be off out of it. You don't know what people have been up to, and everybody's got yeah. different. You need at least a few weeks because everybody's got different, um, you know, a different setup at home, and and you don't know what kind of facility they have and whatnot, but. You can do it. You know, you can get ready. You can get ready playing against your teammates. It's not a big deal. Yeah. So you could you know, do it in weird. home city, no problem. What's weird is that uh, is they had played enough games in spring. They could have started the season. You know, that week they could have started the season. They yeah. played like 20 games. But now, like you said, they've been – it's been almost two months. You know, the hardest part's going to be coming up with a schedule with all this realignment and everything like that. Oh God! Yeah, it takes them. It's, it's so well, hard to come up with the travel for all yeah. thirty teams and all this stuff. And and now you're going to have yeah. a shorter. I don't know if it's going to be three game series or what they're going to do, but trying to line all that travel and everything again with with all new divisions and and whatnot is going to be really hard too. Um, 
It would be simpler though with the three divisions and ten yeah. teams. Yes, yeah. they doing they're doing three different schedules, and you're only involving ten teams because you're not playing the, any of the te- games against the other. That really simplifies it when you're not playing. Oh, those you don't other play those divisions. other teams at all. No. Oh, you okay. only play. So that's and I'm sure that's part of the reason because they can do it on short notice because yeah. they might not be able to make the decision to pull the trigger and go. All right, this is the lack. You know, the COVID rate down is down in Minnesota. They're this and blah blah blah. Let's do it. And then they could do that schedule probably on short notice and have it ready to roll. Yeah, that'll make They're it probably a lot already easier. working on it now. Yeah. They're probably working on it now, you know, and have a schedule ready. Yeah, I saw a guy, um, Trevor Plouffe, say that that he was hearing, you know, from sources yeah. or whatever, which is weird to hear players say that. But uh, he said that um, it's supposed to be June 10th or something, spring starts, and then the season's right. starting in July. Uh, you know, maybe, but it seems like, you know, there's nothing really official been proposed or, or whatnot yet, but usually well, once guys start hearing that and, and he's got the confidence to say it, he's probably somewhat got a feel for it. And that's what Kenny said. You know, if he had to guess, that's what he, that's the scenario he laid out too, without giving specific dates. He said three weeks in June and get going by July 4th. Um, you know, what's funny is that uh, I talked to a former brave, um, like the like four or five days after the shutdown started, and he had talked to of all people John Cruck, who's an announcer with the Phillies, right? Yeah, Cruck had told him then. This is three or four days after the shutdown started, right? He said, "I'm here in July." He was already here at that point. He was yeah. here in July. <laughs> Damn. Now maybe a lot changed, and and it just happened to be you know he happened to be right, and a lot changed, and it kind of went back around. But that's what he was hearing at that time. So. No, there's usually stuff kind of floating around, but it's it's yeah. never going to come out. You know, the, the union or the league's not going to put anything, put their name yeah. on anything until it's official. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting. The central, by the way, that ten teams in the central, if if that scenario were to unfold, would be both Chicago teams, the Brewers, Cardinals, Twins, Reds, Indians, Royals, Tigers, and Braves. Hmm. So you could see a road trip where you play like both Chicago yeah. teams and Milwaukee maybe in 10 games, you know? And that's and only one flight, you know, if they're and back. That's so, yeah. And you could take bus, – I mean, you bus, could take – Same well, hotel. You could, take a bus, you could take a bus from Chicago to Milwaukee. Yes, one flight. One flight there and one flight home. I think that's kind of exactly. why they have it set up is to, to keep that an option, you know? Uh-huh. It was It's so nice too when – and when you go somewhere like Chicago and you're going to Milwaukee after and you skip the whole flight, you know, you just jump in a bus. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually pretty convenient. So I mean travel wise, it's gonna be it's gonna be good for players. You could have one hotel in Chicago for like seven games. They will, you know. Yeah. And then and then teams the same thing. Teams in the East could go to New York for seven days, play two teams. Yep. Uh yeah, and then you go up to Milwaukee. So yeah, you've like, like you said, one flight. Um and then you got your Cardinals and the Royals. You could take a bus across the state yep. of Missouri if you wanted. If you didn't want to fly there, that's easy. Same thing with uh, with uh, Cincinnati and Cleveland. That you could take a bus from Cleveland to Cincinnati if you didn't want to fly. But they're flying charter anyway, so it's not a big deal, you know. But yeah, the uh, West yeah, Coast are, and Texas kind of get a lot trickier. But everybody in the yeah. in the Midwest is easy, and and you know Philly to Philly to New York's easy. A lot of those places you could do bus rides, but. Yeah, D.C., Boston, the whole yeah. thing is either short flights or buses or, or trains even. Yeah, I think that's why. That. I mean, Charter obviously train. that's why they're setting it up. But Yeah, minimize the travel. No no cross-country trips. Could work. Yeah. Um, yeah, see, as far as travel and convenience, I, I think the Braves, like I said, would benefit from not making trips to New York and all that. Uh, it would be weird, though, wouldn't it? I mean, 
Somebody asked a question: Would the, what's what, would it be a legit World Series for somebody that wins? Yeah, like, the whole season's gonna have an asterisk. But you're damn right. You know, ten years from now, you're not gonna say, "Yeah, we won the World Series," but you're gonna say, "We won the World Series." Yeah, still get a ring. You still get champagne. Exactly. You still get a trophy, and you still gotta win it. Yep, it's different. Still gotta win it. You still gotta win the damn thing. Every team's still facing the same obstacles. Not the same schedules, but you know. All those divisions are tough. They got all those divisions are top heavy, and they got a couple of easy teams at the bottom. Each one of those teams it, divisions does, and that's probably why they divided it the way they did too. They yeah. cut down the trap, <laughs> cut way down on the travel, but also having those uh, the Florida, say the Marlins in the Eastern. There's a, there's a dog crap team, uh, <laughs> and and the Orioles. So you got your two bad teams there in the in the East. You got your in the in the uh, West. You've are the Central. You got. Tigers, Royals, uh, there's some bad teams in there, you know, same for the West. So, and then you got some really good teams, some strong teams in each division, like the Twins, like the Cubs, probably, like the Braves in the, in the, in the Midwest, uh, or the, whatever they call it, Central. I'm wondering what the playoff format would be. Man, the East could be brutal, though. Yeah. It'd be tough. Yanks, Rays, Nats. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting what they do with the with the playoff format, and I'm sure they would wait as long as they could, you know, to do that and try to get like, uh, you know, do the the neutral scenarios and make sure those cities they're going to would be good with it. But, um, and football season has been talked about too, man. I I still think there's a lot more chance of baseball getting getting started first than football, uh, and the NBA. I, it's some interesting stuff going on with the NBA because they're talking about the kind of scenario that the, the baseball was briefly about the whole Arizona plan. NBA is really feasible, though, because you're talking about so many fewer people. Yeah. And they're talking about doing it in one site, either Vegas or Disney. Wide World of Sports, because, you know, they have the two big arenas at Wide World of Sports now, right there, the two together, because they built another one since you played there. Yep. Uh, so you could play all the games and all day long in those two places, and because it's not much left of the NBA season, so you get that taken care of, and then you play your tournament there. So, dude, in Vegas they'll put the casinos back in business. You know, there's so many hotels sitting there empty yep. in Vegas. That's why it works there. Plus, they have like three arenas there now too. So it would work in either of those cities. But a couple of blackjack yeah. dealers in the lobby, you'd have no trouble keeping them in the hotel. You know, keep some side big money going. Yeah. Big money going down, man. <laughs> Private casinos. I, I mean, if I owned a casino and I could have a bunch of bored NBA players staying there, and that was my only option, I wouldn't feel too bad about it. You invite you invite MJ and Rodman back too while you're at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guest coaches or something. That's funny. We talked about that with with Bodie last week. And then that's that uh, that episode of uh, of uh, the Last Dance with Jordan it was a gambling episode. It was the following week? Yeah, <laughs> just the stuff Bodie was talking about. Yeah, it's, um, it's insane. I, I watch that stuff, man. It takes me back. That's what those flights and all the stuff where he's just going around talking crap and trying to gamble, yeah. doing all that's that's everybody's favorite thing about playing. Yeah, man, that were uh, you could see how much they, how much they enjoyed it, just talking about it and playing the cards. The funniest thing on that whole thing was when the the security guard hit Jordan with the shrug. Did you see that? <laughs> the twenty bucks took twenty bucks from him. Yeah, and shrugged on him, and then he did it again to make sure everybody saw yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Those those are priceless. Those scenes there. Somebody had the foresight to give them that kind of access. I know that long ago, it's like incredible. they were using. 
surely they weren't thinking they were going to use it, you know, 15 years from now. They're probably thinking we're going to do so, a documentary on it after the season or something, you know? I don't know where it came from, but it's the coolest footage. It's working great, yeah. Uh, so, but, but anyway, we started this by saying how replay would, would not be used this year, and we didn't discuss why. But the reason would be potentially why it would be eliminated this year is because they're considering playing the regular season games at spring training ballparks, which are not wired for replay. So the agreement uh, the sides reached last week gives the MLB the right to not use video replay for ump decisions for this year. Um, cool. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And plus also, even if they played in the regular season ballparks, you wouldn't have to have the crew in New York, you know, and with travel restrictions. It's a shame you couldn't trust the stadiums to just play an honest replay up on the big screen because you could give them a chance at least like if there's just a blatant missed call, play it up there again and let the umps talk for 12 seconds. And and certain ones are so obvious. The whole stadium knows. But the replay dude will find the one angle that makes him look safe. And that's why I've always thought that they should do this thing more like, like say, football does, where yeah. you're looking at it quickly. And they could also take it out of the manager's hands and just have somebody, have a, a, an umpire looking at this going, oh, that needs to be replayed. That one, look. look Hit at a this. button look at and guy. it's changed. Yeah, exactly. And just change it. You know, That's how it yeah. should be anyway. It could be so much easier than it is. It does on not somebody in another nearly. city that might. They always have to get them on the phone and figure out if they were watching the game or not. And the guy's got to go back and find it. It takes so long. Right, and the teams have to hire a guy to be the video coordinator, has to watch the replay, then yeah. signal to the umpire that you're holding up the game while you're waiting yeah. for the guy to decide whether they're going to appeal, you know, and then they have to get take the guy has to take the TV out there to, for them to look. It's just stupid. Uh, if it was streamlined, I mean, it, I wouldn't mind if they got 10, 20% of the calls wrong, if it was so streamlined that it didn't interrupt the flow of the game, but to still, you know, interrupt the flow of the game and, and miss as many calls or not be able to turn things over that seem obvious to everyone else, it just seems like – you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah. So uh, anyway, getting back to, you know, if they do have the kind of hermetically sealed bubble thing, the umps would do the same. They would obviously be inside that just like the players. Um, and then they would get the same per diem as the players in that scenario. I wanted to ask you, what is the normal uh, player per diem during the season? It went down. I think it was like a hundred and something a day. Uh so if you went on a seven day road trip, you'd get like a, a G, you'd get a thousand right. uh, cash. It's awesome. And some guys lose it yeah. before the flight landed. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> some guys would double their meal money and some guys would get cut in half. But uh, I think that after that last, um, it was really awkward. They, that last player's agreement, they took away clubhouse dues. Um, so you didn't pay the clubbies anymore. It was the team operated the clubhouse and, you know, you still had these guys doing the same job and doing all these things for you. So even though I got less, I still paid the same. I'd, I paid 150 plus tip a day, um, which is pretty light, you know, but I was a reliever. Some guys pay like 300, 500 a day, uh, but I'd always tip them good too at the end of the series. But I think it was, I think it's like 70, 75 now a day. And that's just basically to try to cover, you know, getting to the park and right, uh, right. first meal or something like that. But it's a lot less now than it was when I was playing. Hey guys, producer Cam here to tell you about our friends at Manscaped. If you're bored in the house, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. 
The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with a new and improved Lawnmower 3, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Shaving is about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. This is the perfect package for your perfect package. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Brief. So, go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. Q&A time. You guys have liked these segments, so we took some more questions off Twitter. Got a bunch of good ones again. Really appreciate that. Uh, let's go to it. John Michael Vito, Yay Vitz, says, <laughs> Yay Vitz. Yeah, says, Vitz. That's a G joke. <laughs> ah, you're right. I got you. Okay, I read it wrong. EOF, that's you. Are the Astros still going to get dotted up once we start rolling again? Or has the pandemic calmed a lot of that down? I say Bregman better invest in a Barry Bond style guard, arm guard, and maybe no, don't dig in. Baseball players don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think, you know, I don't think any, anybody's, if you, yeah. I've never seen players vo- as vocal about any issue as they were about the Astros, you know, coming out and saying stuff. I don't think anybody's going to forget. I agree. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, from Michael Whitlow, Witty Whitlow 8. Since you've been covering the team, what has been the best trade the Braves have made and what has been the worst in your opinion? I love the podcast and the analysis you both provide. It's much appreciated. Man, I should have looked at these earlier and thought about them because I'm going to do one off the top of my head and I'll get it wrong. And go, oh, shit. I should have said this one. But uh, best trade the Braves have made. Um, even though it doesn't look as one-sided as it did, it still looks way one-sided. But at one point, it was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, was obviously Shelby Miller to Arizona for yeah. Ender Enciarte, Dansby Swanson. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That still uh, looks pretty one-sided. <laughs> it still does. Still obviously, you got a three-time good. gold glover. And Dansby, we still don't know what he's going to be. He's just a real good player or a great player. He might be really, he might be a great player. He might just be a very good player. He might just be a good player. We don't know, but they didn't get anything out of Shelby Miller. So no, and he's been hurt. So even if Dansby's okay, it's, it's lopsided. Yeah, yeah, and Ender, yeah, you already. Even if you don't get anything outside of them, Ender, mm-hmm. you already. It's already one sided. The worst. Hmm, we've talked about this quite a bit too. Uh, I'm going to have to stick at shortstop because I'm going to have to stay. You don't trade the best defensive shortstop in baseball for a couple of pitching prospects. Andrelton Simmons to, to the Angels. They got the pitching prospects, including Nuke, who still could be good. We don't know what's going to happen with Nuke, but we know what Andrelton is. And yeah. they got the second baseman that they thought that uh, we were told would not be that big a drop-off from <laughs> from Angleton. Yeah. <laughs> and he was <laughs> a huge drop off. What's his name? We got a uh, Ibar. Ibar, yeah. We we watched Ibar. The Braves got Ibar and we were told that uh, Ibar was not going to be uh, just anyway. got Ibar yeah, a few that, years too late. 
Yeah, yeah. He was he had some good years. He was years. nasty yeah, with the Angels. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was good when what, I played what about, Seattle. what about you? Can you think one off the top the of your worst, head that was the, uh, the worst trade another I, I was a part of was trade. with uh Seattle. We traded for uh, Eric Bedard. And we traded Adam Jones, George Sherrill, and three other prospects. <laughs> <laughs> but our oh, but our showed up and wasn't wasn't feeling it. He was I think he was hurt. Something was wrong with his shoulder. But um, I mean Jonesy went on to have a great career. So th- and we you know the thing was when we made that trade we thought we won that division. We were all excited about it. Like you know Jonesy was just a prospect. Look at this starter we got. But Art had just had a great season, and he just showed up and wasn't yeah. the same guy. I don't know if you know probably injuries or something like that. It's hard to bank on pitching. You know if a consistent position player is hard to get. But, yeah, that was probably the worst. Um, the best. So I can't really think of the best. Oh, you know, I got to go back on my on my worst trade, though. You know what? Andrelton, as bad as that one was, and it was bad. The Elvis Andrews Hector, one? Oh, uh, no, Oliveira. Oh, yeah. Oliveira. Who was who that for? Oh, uh, the Texera, Mark Teixeira trade was awful, too, obviously. To that was the, the one everyone she talked about when I was with Atlanta. Right, that my was first terrible. Stint there, everyone's talking about that one. At least, at least you know you knew what Sherholtz was trying to do, though. Last gas, trying to go back to a World Series before he retired as GM, but it was bad. That's one bad. of those ones. Andrew, if it works, though, you know yeah. it just didn't work. Kind of like JD Drew, they traded for right. one year. JD Drew, they got to the playoffs. So he had a great year, but it just didn't work out. You know, you Teams do don't make those trades anymore, though. That's kind of the difference I've noticed. Is nobody does the. Uh, I'm yeah. all in for one ride here. Yeah. They just realize Multiple, the odds are yeah. too tough. Yeah. But the Hector Oliveira trade, dude, that was so bad in so many ways because they traded for a guy that the Dodgers were willing to give up on after giving him that big contract when they signed him from Cuba as a free agent. They were willing to give up on him less than a year later. So you knew there was red flags and you get him. And he was just not not just not good at the bad. big league level, but a bad guy and ends yeah. up getting arrested Black eye on the on the on the team gets arrested, you know, for sexual assault uh, in in DC. Uh, I mean, he was he was bad, and you gave up Alex Wood. You gave up, you know, quite a bit to get him. Yeah, even I remember if you when we got him. Almost I remember coaches saying would have been a bad trade. Yeah, it, I remember when we got him. I remember coaches saying, "This guy can't play." We're like, shit, really? <laughs> and then we all saw him, you know, slow bat speed. He had heavy feet. He didn't look like yep. a big leaguer. I think that, I don't know, maybe maybe he just had a good showcase or whatever it was. But, that was, yeah, that was a tough I, trade. I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, Mike, what, Mike Hampton? That didn't work out well, but that's just because he was hurt all the time. I mean, you know, he had some good moments, but, yeah, he was hurt a lot. A lot. Dan Ugla. Well, it wasn't that bad a trade. They shouldn't probably shouldn't have given him an extension before he played here, but yeah. They didn't give up a yeah. lot. No. I am done. Mike Dunn and Infante, yeah. I think, something like that. Yeah, Infante, you know, he was on the downside, but he still had a little he's had some good left end. Infante was uh, underrated. Prado, Prado was bad. That's a bad trade. I, I can't remember. Did that they one. trade him or let him No, yeah, they traded him. Yeah. Cause he uh Became too expensive for them in arbitration. They thought there wasn't a leader. With <laughs> former GM said, which that was ridiculous. Yeah, because exactly what he was. Yeah, to Arizona. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the Braves. Michael traded. Bourne was a good tri- uh, trade, huh? Maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he, he was a good one. guy. He didn't have great. Yeah. He wasn't great here, but he was a good fit guy right and had some good moments. Yeah, fit right in. He came with uh, Mr. Happy, Mr. Energy. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, the product traded by the Braves with Nick Ahmed, who became a Gold Glover himself <laughs> at shortstop with the with the uh, Arizona Randall Delgado, Brandon Drury, and Zeke Spruill. Spruill to Drury's the Diamondbacks for Chris Johnson for Chris Johnson and Justin Upton. Upton, wildly inconsistent streak hitter, had a big year for the Braves, but very streaky. Oof. I don't know. That's a tough try. That's a tough one to evaluate, but yeah, that's, that's not a lot bad. of people. Yeah, you got yeah. a good Upton's a good player. Oh, I know. He was just really streaky. God, he was yeah. streaky. For a 30 homer guy. Man, he's streaky. Probably the streakiest uh good hitter that I've ever been around. Justin Upton. Streakiest good hitter. I could say yeah, that. I remember like the- I think it was that April <laughs> we thought he was gonna hit 70 home runs. I know. Yeah. Yeah, he had probably 10 in one month, didn't he? Or eight. I can't remember, but his bat speed, uh, the first time I saw him take BP, and then that first month, I was like, this dude is on another level. You understand you know, why the, there was so much hype around him, how he got to the big leagues at 20 and stuff. But yep. yeah, he hasn't. He has been He has been a little streaky. Remember the one he hit over the trees? Were you there at spring training where he hit it over the, those metal flags yeah. on the left on the berm yep. and over everything into the parking lot? Never seen yep. anybody else do that there. He's a monster. Um, all right. Yeah, I, I know we're missing a, a good trade, but uh, I can't think of any right off the top of my head that have been, it was, you know, during the rebuild or during the, the teardown, they were trading everybody. So it becomes a blur, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, what are the most detailed? Here, this one's for you. What are the most detailed responsibilities of a bullpen coach and how much influence or in, impact does a bullpen coach have on a pitching staff? It's different now, man. The, the last few years yeah. I was in the game, they were involved in scouting, um, helping guys mechanically with bullpens and stuff. But, you know, majority of the time in my time in Atlanta, it was Eddie Perez's job was just to make people laugh and, and keep it loose down there and answer the phone. <laughs> you know, he'd, uh-huh. he'd humble everybody. He Sometimes Eddie would answer the phone and he'd be like, hey, baby, they want you to pitch. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, he'd kind of – he'd just always rip on you and, and keep you loose. <laughs> he'd say, oh, man, he'd be shaking his head like – they want a flarity. I don't know. I don't know why we're using this, but that's who they said. So you got to go in. You know, he 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 always joke around and stuff. And I think the ideal bullpen coach just keeps it loose because once the fifth, sixth inning starts coming, getting around, and everybody starts stirring and stretching, and it can get kind of tense down there. So you know, if you have a bullpen coach that's that's really tense and kind of over just stressing with you, it, it makes it worse. But if you have like an Eddie Perez down there, almost ripping yeah. on you and keeping it loose the whole time, it's it's a lot more fun. So I, I, I'd i love to be a bullpen coach and just keep it loose and, and give guys pointers when I could. But, yeah, their job's really – they used to just be kind of answering the phone and helping out with a few things. Eddie would catch some bullpens. Uh, now it's it's, it's pretty advanced. Yeah, yeah. you got to know what you're doing, so I don't know. It's been a lot more – and that guy has a lot more involved with analytics now analytics, too. Analytics, scouting. They're like a second pitching coach now. Yeah, exactly. And him and the pitching coach obviously have to have the same philosophy, and he kind of – uh, handles the relievers telling them what the pitching coach tells the pitchers, right? And the starters. I mean, because it, it allows the pitching coach to spend more time with the starters, right? In most, in some cases. Uh, no, I don't think so. It's it's not really divided like that. I mean, they're just kind of a team and, and they work with all the pitchers, but it's another, you know, if you get a really good second coach there, you know, sometimes a bullpen coach or he'll see something that the, the you know the the main pitching coach doesn't see and they can kind of feed off each other and help each other out um mm-hmm. marty reed was pretty good i mean he had you know it the thing about coaching is sometimes it's the same message it's just a little bit deli- 
different delivery. You know, you bring right. it in a different way and, and that kind of strikes a chord and works with the players. So it's not a bad thing to have as, as long as they're on the same page. But yeah, it's way more advanced than hey, it used to uh, be, while, especially with all the data. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, while we're thinking about it, before we move forward, now I got I remembered a couple of good traits. I had to think about it while you were talking there. I don't know why I forgot this one. Andy Marte to the Red Sox for Edgar Renteria. That's a good one. That place. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and back going, that was in 05. Go back to 02, my first year here. They traded, the Braves traded BJ, Brian Jordan, Andrew Brown, and Odalis Perez to the Dodgers for Sheffield. And Sheff was trade. a monster here, man. Yeah. yeah. He was a monster here. Um, What was the one other one that was... One other one, most recent. Uh, oh, you had the one, Huddy. Yeah, Huddy's a good one. Yeah, they didn't give up a lot to get Huddy. That was a good one. Um, I forgot they signed him, uh, that they traded for him. Uh, yeah, the Dansby one. Oh, Aaron Blair was the other one in that, with him there in CRT and Dansby. Aaron Blair came over. And for a while, Aaron Blair looked like he was yeah, he really going right. be something. But he got, you know, injuries. Yeah. Injuries. Um, the other one. Well, you got to go way back to 93, obviously, for a huge one midseason. Freddie McGriff. They that gave helps. up Vince, Vince Moore, Donnie Elliott, and Melvin Nieves to the Padres for Fred McGriff. That was before my time here or covering baseball. That was 93. I started in 95. Uh, yeah. And then eight. obviously the, the best one in franchise history, probably since the Braves moved to Atlanta, was going way back to 87. Doyle Alexander to the Tigers for John Smoltz. So. Mm. That was before my time, obviously. That's pretty good, the way that worked out for both teams. Yeah. In that Doyle had you know finished a good year with the Tigers, but yeah, I'd say long-term, <laughs> the Braves benefited a little bit by having the first ballot Hall of Famer his whole career here. Um, yeah, it worked in their favor. Here's a good one here. If you could make out – it's going to be tough to do off the top Ooh. of your head, probably. If you could make a dream team lineup with people you have covered – in Eric's case, played with or or oh, against. Shit. Jesus, can't get on. With I could do against? it. I, could you? With, right. Oh, with or against? I'd just do with. I think. Yeah, do with. Uh, All right. Who would be in it? You do while you're doing. it, I'm gonna try to think of one. Catching go would ahead. be B Mac. Um, starting pitcher should I go Huddy? Third base chipper, shortstop Andrelton. Second base, I'd I'd put Prot there. Uh, first base be Freddie Free. Man, I'm going all Braves, but that left field, uh, I might go Justin Upton in center field. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> he's a presence. What you got, uh, Josh? Center field. Where you got huh? Oh, you got Chipper. Josh? Right? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I got Chipper at third. I, I would have put JD on there, but I'm taking Chipper. It's all the famer. Yeah. Uh, Not bad. It's center field. I might have to go Ichiro. Oh, yeah. 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 It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, right field, I want Jay Hay on my team. I'm trying that's to pretty think. good, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a decent squad. We do all right. I uh, have Kimball, Kimball I'm going Yeah, yeah. How about you? You got setting up as long as we're doing it. JV, <laughs> a healthy JV. Yeah. Yeah. And who you got? Who's your other one? I'll throw the seventh. <laughs> I mean, let me, let me get some innings. <laughs> that's right. You got to have a in there. Come on, man. <laughs> Uh, I'm and, going and Moilo up. too. Then I'm putting Moilo on the team too. Moilo, yeah, yeah, Moilo for and Christian for, Martinez, uh, the ultimate long man. <laughs> Moilo's your clubhouse guy too. 
Yeah, and he'll get a righty. Hold it out. all together. Me and Moylo are a good team. We're, we we together were one really good pitcher. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go. B Mac behind the plate. Uh, I'm going Freddie at first base. I'm gonna go Ozzy at second. I'm gonna go Andrelton at short. But man, you got I got Renteria right behind him, just because of the clutch hitting, man. But I'm going Andrelton still, uh, and I'm going Chipper third, obviously. Uh in left. Who'd you have in left? I had Upton. Oh yeah. Uh, center. Joe Andrew Jones, you cover him. Oh yeah, what the hell am I talking about? Jesus, I'm, I'm making it more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah, I'm going Andrew and uh, Andrew uh, Jones in center, and I'm trying to think back to a couple of Marlins. Oh, I'm going Sheffield and right. You got to put Miggy in there somewhere. I didn't cover Miggy. I left the year before, oh. or the year before he came up. Yeah, that's why I always say uh, Acuna's the best prospect I've ever seen because I I, I can't compare him to Miggy because I didn't see him. Yeah. Um, and left, hmm, ah, I could put Chef in left, but Chef played right when I covered him. So, oh, uh, you know what? I'm gonna go JD Drew mm. with the other one. Yeah, the other corner. Good squad. We still, yeah, that's a that's a hell of a squad. Because if you look at the year that I covered JD Drew, it was the best year of his career. He was phenomenal, man. He was Actually, phenomenal. I think I got to change my starter to Jacob Degrom. Oh, and start. Oh, you pl- you played with Degrom. Yeah, I forgot about. Oh, that. with the Mets. Yeah, I got to put him out there. <laughs> Dude's nasty. Oh, with uh, starters. Oh man, Jesus. I I'm Kevin gonna Brown. have to go with the big three. I'm going with the big <laughs> three plus Kevin Brown and big three plus Kevin Brown plus. Mm, it's. it's uh, I I probably go Huddy, yeah. yeah. I go Huddy because I also had good Alex Fernandez right when he was when he was really good, and Al Leiter through a no hitter uh, was really good. But yeah, I'm gonna have to go. Uh, I'm gonna go Huddy. That's damn. That's a hell of a squad. squad. And I got a, squad. and I've got of course I got Kimbrel closing. I'll have uh, Rob Nen as one setup guy. Uh, JV. As the other, and uh, you, closing, as a, and I have you as a lefty, even though you okay. weren't a situational lefty. Just give me, I've got let me, Kimbrel. Let me get a lefty out. I just want to be on, be got, on the squad. I got Kimbrel closing, man. Yeah. I got, but I'm going Rob Nen as a setup guy. You know the other guy I played with that was pretty close to Kimbrel when he first came up was JJ Putts. Oh yeah, I don't oh. know if you ever oh, saw oh, him he was, when he was prime, yeah. but he yeah. there's an at bat he had where he punches out Barry Bonds at peak Barry Bonds. And you can really appreciate how good JJ Plus was. He had 98 with a splitter that was just devastating. I'll uh, probably he'll I'm set on, it up for me too. <laughs> and and just in case Smoltz hears this, remember I put Smoltz on the starting the big three. John's going. Why am I not? <laughs> why am I not the closer? <laughs> so that's the only reason he's not. But I'm going Kimball closer. Period. But I would have had Smoltz as a guy if he's on. But he's in that starter, obviously. All right, that was fun. Um, let's go. For EOF, talk about pitchers, mounds, differences, if there are any, and which were your favorite and which did you hate and why? I'm going to be honest. I was never good enough to really appreciate 
the difference in the mounds. I knew I either felt good or I didn't on certain ones, but you know, some guys can tell every single detail, like something about the clay bothers them or something about the, this slopes a little too steep and not. It was for me, it was just kind of go out there and chuck it. But there was one mound that I hated and it was the old Marlins uh, mound because their bullpen mound was really (laughs) flat. And then the game mound was like falling off a cliff. So you'd see every reliever from the visiting team, they would just air mail or yank or fall down on their first uh, warm up pitch when they came in the game, you know, and that doesn't affect starters as much because they have time to adjust to the mound. Um, but uh-huh. a reliever where you got to come in and be nasty for that first hitter. It was, a, I hated that place every time. And I, that's something that I think about. And I'm like, I don't know why teams don't do this on purpose. I, I don't think the Marlins were doing it on purpose. I think that place was just old and, you know, just a dump and they didn't care. But mm-hmm. if I, if I ran a stadium, you know, if I owned a team, I'd make sure that my bullpen mound did not match up anywhere near close to the slope of my game mound. Um, yeah. My favorite mound yeah. was probably Philly. I love that one. I love the both Yankee stadiums. I love Safeco. I love the old Turner. Old Turner Field's my favorite mound in the world by far. Something about it. You know, you could just something about the way the air traveled through there. The ball just hissed when it came out of your hand. Um, uh-huh. The wind would kind of push the ball in a way where it just sounded loud when you threw it and that helped your confidence. Um, it was kind of a little bit darker of a stadium. So the ball looked like it was getting on them mm-hmm. fast. There's just something about that atmosphere. And obviously, you know, I always had. I did really well there. So wherever you pitch well is going to be your favorite place. You know, you hear from, uh, I've heard from multiple sinker ballers over the years that the Braves mound is not good for sinker ballers. Well, it's, it's, uh, I don't know about SunTrust, but the thing that sinker ballers didn't like about Turner field was um, they wouldn't water down the front of the plate. Like it, Felix, when he was with um, Seattle for all those years, they would soak because he got so many ground balls. Uh-huh, they would right. soak that dirt in front of home plate. So, if, you know, hard hit grounder losing 10 miles an hour right off that dirt and they keep it wet. Um, How about the height? That was one thing that guys complained a ton about with Turner Field was they wouldn't water down the, the dirt in front. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I threw pretty good sinkers at Turner Field. I felt great there. So right. I don't know. Like I said, I'm just not, I wasn't good enough. Like some of these starting pitchers are to really recognize the difference. That's what I was going to say. Don't starters recognize it more because they're out there. Way it's more. Just, they're out there so long. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a and reason they're, they're starters. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a reason they're starting yeah. pitchers, that attention to detail and that ability to notice more yeah. and that feel they have. Believers just come in chucking for the most part. And and it's not on accident. You know, you, we're, we're better set to keep our minds simple and just let it eat. And, and relievers sometimes, do you have to come into the mound that's kind of chewed up? For, if if oh. there's like a big starter or a guy that really digs in, are Kawakami. you stepping in a hole sometimes? I had to pitch yeah. against Kawakami every time because he ran up 700 pitches in five innings. So you know you're going <laughs> to the pen. And, it you know, I was always the first lefty out of the pen uh, when we were teammates. And Kawakami would dig this hole. I mean, he would – he his his foot would be at like a 90-degree angle down into the into the rubber. You know, in the dirt in front of the rubber. So, right, I stood in the same uh-huh. spot in the mound as him. I'd come in and I'd have to move to a different part of the mound. It always threw me off, but he'd dig such <laughs> a big hole and tear it up. Uh, and the same, the same process. You know, if if you land where the starting pitcher lands, some some guys that land heavy dig it kind of a trench too. Yeah, I never wanted to be that guy that makes him fix the mound because it's just a buzz kill on the whole yeah. game. But yeah. you know, looking back, I probably should have quite a few times in my career. I'm wondering, like, what what it would be like for a guy like CC Sabathia, you know, when he was like 280, and he's got that, but his stride was so long, it's probably ahead of yours where you would land. Probably, yeah. And you know, the thing that I don't think people realize is, is we are such creatures of comfort that if you move like 
seven inches on the mound, it feels like uh-huh. you move seven feet. I did it against <laughs> I did it against the Phillies one time after pitching. I think it was against Kabakami started that game. I just said, screw it. I'm just going the other side of the rubber. This whole thing that both starters had just wrecked the left side. And I went over there. I might as well move 12 feet. I mean, the, <laughs> the, that muscle memory and the visual and all the, all the comfort of, of it. It was the most uncomfortable inning I've ever thrown. So I thought after that, you know, wow. if it's like this again, I'm going to have to ask him to fix it. I don't think people understand or realize that how big a difference that is for you guys. But, you know, like you said, I mean, you're, you're when you're try, trying to dot something and throw it to a specific spot, you move Highest 10 level. inches or you move five inches. Yeah. It's a totally different angle. And the Braves have had a couple of guys that have moved their position uh, uh, on the mound and made a huge difference on the rubber to one side or the other in, in recent years and made it like Don Sutton. I remember advised one guy uh, to move over to, to one side of the rubber and it really made a difference in his career. Well, that changed my career when I came over to Atlanta. Um, I, I had this at bat against Matt Stairs where I threw him just bastard sliders and nastiest pitches I could throw. And he was all over everything. And B-Matt came up to me in the outfield. This is probably my first game uh, with, with Atlanta and Matt Stairs hit a ball to the moon. And I just got lucky because the wind happened to be blowing in that day. Um, and it could have set me off on a downward spiral too, because I'd had a 20 year A the year before. So, you know, sometimes luck plays a big part, but BMAC just said, look, those sliders you're throwing are so nasty, but where you stand on the rubber, the only way you can throw it for a strike, it has to come right through a lefty swing path. He goes, move to the center of the rubber. Then you can start at middle and run it off or start at middle and run it to the corner. And you'll never give them that chance to clip it out front before it gets to this part of the zone. It was like something I'd never even thought of. You know, people just told me, hey, your lefty stand on the left side. It's nastier. I was like, okay, that's enough info yeah. for me. And I did that my whole career until I met BMAC. Wow. Wow. Dave and Eric, given the logo and uniform talk over the past few weeks, would either of you be in favor of making the lowercase A logo that was used in spring training and batting practice the staple going forward with the current colors? I've always been a fan of it. Uh, no, I don't, nah. I like it as an alternative or batting practice, but no, I wouldn't get rid of the classic a that they have, even though it looks too much like Alabama's, you know, it's still their thing, you know, and, uh, it just looks too good. I think, I think it's one of those things that's nice when you mix it in, but if you looked at it every day, you get tired of it. Right. It looks great with that Hank Aaron uniform, you know, with the yeah. flower, with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, feather on the side, the blue, yep. the kind of Royal blue, uh, that bright blue, I like that. It really looks good with that. Wear those once a homestand and, lo- and mix it in. Yeah, and it even looks fine on the uh, on the uh, batting practice hat. But I, no, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I don't um, like it on the batting practice hat that much. I like yeah, the A. They've had better ones. Yeah, they've yeah. had better ones. Tim, this is from. Oh, that was from uh, Chris Damato, and okay. this is from Gabe Thomas. G. Thomas one sixty three. He says Tim Hudson's numbers are as good as almost anybody that pitched in his time, but he has never gotten the amount of attention others did. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I think most people, when he was going, especially when I won twenty games and he was in in Moneyball and they had him in that. For, but I, I, you know, I finished high in the side voting that year. Maybe he got a little overlooked when he came over here. I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about that, but. I think he gets. How do you always had one bad inning? Game. He always had one bad inning. You know, he always had one inning where he came out and just. Mm-hmm. It, that was the difference for him because the other six, you know, would be mm-hmm. Roy Holiday esque, and then he'd have one bad inning. But I also think he was too clean cut and just too too good of a guy, you know, just laying low and 
didn't really draw a lot of attention to himself. And, and, you know, ground ball guys, you got to strike a lot of guys out to really, yeah. Oh, you have to overpower guys yeah. and Huddy pitched a lot and had the good split, right. but it wasn't something you could watch on TV and just be like, Holy crap. Right. You know, like Randy Johnson, just blowing hitters away. You're not going to miss that. But right. I think Huddy did fly under the radar, but he wasn't, he never quite got to that point where he was, you know, going to be a 300 game winner or um, just completely dominant. He was just really, really good for a long time. Yeah. And sinker ballers don't, yeah, like you said, it's not don't sexy. The, yeah, not like big strikeout guys with the fastballs or a guy like Maddox who can move it like crazy movement or, you know, yeah. big curveballs. And yeah, you could throw 99 uh, and put up okay numbers and everybody knows who you are. But, it, yeah. you know, if you're just a good pitcher and you're not doing anything that really stands out, you kind of, it's, it's pretty easy to just blend in. James T. Brown, downtown JT Brown. Says, which city has your favorite food and what is it? Mm. Go. That's I like one. New York pizza. Oh, that's the best kind. Yeah. Then Neapolitan. Yeah. Well, and you yeah, can get it anywhere. You just walk down the street yeah. and everybody has it. Yeah. Something about the pizza there. Yeah. Not that casserole. <laughs> Chicago sh- lasagna. Sh- Chicago. Oh, <laughs> I'm not man. a big fan. Not, Some people like it. I know people love it. People people that love it don't they swear by it. That's all they like. But I, I I'm not a fan of it. And I love pizza, but I just don't like that. Um, that's it for you. For me, fish tacos, and mm. I'd say San Diego because San Diego. there's about there's about ten places there that are tremendous fish tacos. Either on Pacific Beach, there's a couple of them downtown now. One right by the ballpark beyond uh, center field out there is a great one. But there's a bunch of them in San Diego, but uh, LA also tons of fish tacos. Um, you can get them a lot of places now. You used to have to really go Southern California to get them. Now you can get them a lot of places, but they're still best down there. I think. Yeah, I'm spoiled, man. My my wife can cook. She's the best cook. I, I don't even enjoy eating out. She's such a good cook, and I can order yeah, anything. I can wake up at five in the really? morning and say I want French toast, and bacon, and eggs, and wow, an omelet and whatnot. And she just cooks it right up. So she kind of almost spoiled <laughs> eating out for me over the years because I'd always rather just eat her food. And I'm not really trying to score points with her. I'm in the doghouse either way. But um, yeah, she can cook. So I got she kind of ruined you know eating out for me, but it's a blessing. Right there with it, uh, I should say, but I, I, it's almost like uh, a given with me. I don't even think about it. Second nature would be barbecue in Kansas City. Ooh, yeah. But I've, I've had that so long, though, with you know going to school out there and all that. But uh, barbecue in Kansas City is just oh, We ate this Shane's Rib Shack like twice a week when I was with the Braves, the first stint. So I kind of got tired of barbecue, but Kansas City is good. Yeah, it's – God, it's so good, man. Um, and Texas, too. Texas has – tremendous barbecue as well but uh, we don't get down there much so used to in tech in houston a lot but not anymore um this is from rk ribo 15 how did you and eof how'd you and eric get together to do this podcast well that's interesting i uh i was at the athletic for a while maybe six months or so and they decided they were going to start doing podcasts and i had done one solo kind of diy thing at uh at the uh ajc where, I mean, it was nothing like this. It was record on my little Olympus recorder, loaded up myself onto the computer. I mean, it was pain in the ass loading it and producing and all that stuff, yeah. producing it as per se. But so we started here and it's a totally different thing. They asked me what I do a podcast and I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I figured I was going to do it alone, you know, like I did over there. And I'm like, no, we don't want people doing solo podcasts. I'm like, oh man. So I had to get somebody to do it with. And the people I thought about doing it, I was like, 
you know, we had, we had kind of settled on maybe a rotating cast of people because you didn't want to pin down one person who had another job and all this stuff. And you you wanted to make sure they would be available, you know, twice sure. a week for those times. You know like I am. Jeff Frank. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hadn't thought of you. Then I thought, oh, my God. And I saw what you were doing on Twitter. And I seen all the stuff O'Flaherty's doing on Twitter. Kind of had started in that year before we did the podcast. You had recently really started getting really open on Twitter and doing some really insightful, candid stuff. And I thought, you know, because I had a really good relationship with Eric at the end there with, with the with the Braves. And I thought, you know, he's not doing anything. Maybe he'd be interested in doing it. And it's weird because it's like some things are just meant to be because I happen to be having breakfast with your agent that week we were in L.A., who's also Josh Donaldson's agent. And that's uh. why I was having, at breakfast with him. And he and I mentioned the podcast, and he said, "Yeah, I think that'd be really good for Eric to do because I'm trying to get him into TV radio. You know, he doesn't have the the you know the kind of the he keeps trying to get right me to do now. TV. I don't want to do that shit. Yeah, so it was just weird how it happened. So then I you know I asked you, and then also what was weird is on that same trip we went from LA to Arizona, and you were going to Arizona to have like to hang out with BMAC for a day yeah. or two. Yep. So I met up with you for breakfast or lunch in Arizona. We're like, this will so be it's good. just weird. The timing was just weird. And we and they wanted to start it within like two weeks. So that just, well, I don't know, man. That just came together really perfectly because, you know, instead of having a revolving cast and having to schedule it all the time and hope somebody wasn't going to be on the golf course and, and, and as it worked out, it was just, well, you know, it's, do it with anyway. it's funny because I didn't. I didn't do a ton of interacting with the media when I was playing one, because I always worked yeah. out after the game. So it just didn't right. work. And and that was just my routine that worked the best. I could lift weights after and not be sore, you know, when I pissed. Um, but I also, I hated having to do the, basically the Vanderbilt thing you're talking about. Those words would yeah. come out of my mouth and I knew I wasn't saying what I wanted to say. You know, I yeah. just felt so fake. I couldn't look myself in the mirror. And then it was kind of, it, I felt free when I was done. I was like, shit, I can just speak my mind and right. I don't want to talk crap and, and cut people down or anything. I just wanted to say what I was really feeling. And um, people took a liking to that. And then you text me and said, Hey, you want to do this? I said, sure. You know, why not? I didn't have anything else to do. And I miss talking baseball because yeah, I don't have any friends out here. All my friends are all over the United States, not, you know, maybe one yeah. or two in Seattle. So I don't get a lot of guy time. So this is my guy time. So we got lucky. I got lucky. I got lucky with that, man. Really lucky. So, um, Let's see which. Let's see. We had the uh, just a couple more here. Benji Goodwin, Benji Godwin, Benji at ATL Ten says, "How many games will it take for the season to feel legitimate? If fans never get to the games, including the playoffs, will that taint the World Series? Uh, say the Braves win in twenty twenty, but they can't even have a parade. Well, we've talked about that. You're going to win a World Series. You're going to win a World Series, and it may, you know, you're going to. It may it. have an asterisk asterisk by the season, but as the years go by. Uh, nobody, you know, you win a world series, you want it. Like in 94, they didn't have a world series, but if they'd have had one that year, nobody would be talking today about how they only played 110 games that year. You know, you know what I mean? They just uh, didn't have a postseason that year. Yeah. From a player standpoint, there's still going to, the champagne's still going to burn your eyes. You know, there's nothing, <laughs> it's, it's going to feel the same. Um, it's right. You're still playing against the best in the world and winning a championship against the best in the world. And it's, no one's going to give it to you. You know, you're going to have to earn it. So uh, I think circumstance will be a little different and maybe a team that doesn't belong in the playoffs could sneak in in a shorter season, but 
whoever wins it, you're getting a ring. You're getting to you're getting to celebrate. Uh, maybe you don't do a parade, but the big thing is just pouring that champagne and and coming together as a group and all the memories they're going to create. Like you you were talking about that Zoom call with the '95 team. I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're creating a bond for life and memories for life. So I, you know, from a player standpoint, there's no way if I won a World Series this year, you're you're saying anything that that discounts it to me. Yeah. Um, I think if there's no, if they can't even play the, the postseason games with, you know, in neutral site, I think if they can do that and have fans in the stands, that would be add a whole lot yeah. to it. Yeah. To in a playoffs, because, you know, the crowds are so loud in a playoffs. Yeah. It's different that's different than a regular season. You're right about that. That might be the, it, that would probably be the one thing that wouldn't make it feel real as if you're mm-hmm. doing it in an empty stadium, because, you know, like that one Rebay home run in 2013. That atmosphere is the craziest, best baseball atmosphere yeah. I've ever been in a in a stadium for. I mean, I've never heard a stadium, a baseball stadium, that loud. Um, and to be part of those moments, or be part of uh, like Ankyl's home run he hit in San Francisco, listen to that stadium go dead silent. You know, after being yeah. so loud and crazy, that atmosphere there. Uh, that's probably you know that's that's the biggest thing about the playoffs is how much energy that the fans bring. Right. So, yeah, that definitely changed things. You're right about that. And uh, I think that. You know, you're talking about November, possibly even December, uh, provided it's not too cold. I think you still, you, I think by then you probably could have a parade. You know, maybe you have to have, you know, some space between people and all that. But I think by then you probably could have some kind of a parade. That's quite a ways away, but who knows? Who man? knows? Who worries about that right now? Uh, you know, uh, if you can win it, you can win it. And, and it should be a lot better to win it than not get there. But, uh, the whole season is going to have an asterisk, and in some ways, it's going to be kind of cool to be able to say you're the one that, team that came out ahead in that year, you know. And 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 if you play the regular season, I could see a scenario too where teams could really bond even more than they usually do if it's just them they're playing, you know, and they don't have crowds behind them and all that. They're going to be forced or or naturally have to even have more time and talk together, especially if they're holed up, you know. Yes. Yeah you know, environments they're talking about. So who knows? Teams could even be bonded more. Yeah. I mean, players self-isolate a lot these days anyway. Yeah, after the games, yeah. they go home to the room. It's it's yeah. not like it used to be where they're drinking yeah. beers in the clubhouse till 3 a.m. or whatever. But uh, it, yeah, who knows? I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be completely different, but you, you can't discount a world series no matter how you win it. Uh, any changes? This one, Joe Lochran. Mojo four sixteen. Any changes that either of you would like to see to, to the game to modernize it, broaden the fan base? Huh. I'm not the guy to ask. I'm I'm a lot of ways I'm old school. Like, Man, totally, the only but, the only thing for me is just I wish the I strike zone was bigger so the game would be faster. Yeah, but that's that's not modernizing. <laughs> I know that's it's going not. back to what it used to be. You know what I mean? That's whenever I, I think of a change, that's the only change. You know, having guys bitch over a call that's a centimeter off the plate, whether they're right yeah. or wrong, I feel like just makes the game drag out, puts more pressure on the umps. They can't call a three one borderline pitch a strike to keep the game flowing, even when it's eight nothing. Um, I think the strike zone kills the flow of the game. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pitcher. I'm not a, really a pitcher anymore. I'm just watching, but um I think that that's the one change I would make if I could change anything in the game. I just give them that freedom to call their own zone again. 
Yeah. So if you're going to say that, if I don't know if it's it's not modernizing it to me, it's no. going back and making the t- the game flow better. I would get a, I would do away with a lot of the replay. I mean, I think it's totally against the spirit of the rule to have that ridiculous call at second base when a guy comes off for a millisecond. Yeah. His hand you can't even see it with the naked eye, and a guy keeps the tag down so that he if he slides past the bag and his foot comes away from the bag for I mean. You can't. You you need to slow it down in super slow mode to even see it. I just don't think that accomplishes anything. So I don't like that rule. And like Eric said, I hate the strike zone. How tight they've got with the strike zone. Um, I, I I these are things. And and I think batters have gotten so ridiculous. It started probably with Nomar Garcia Park getting out after each pitch, adjusting their their uh, yeah. gloves, the batting gloves, the straps on the batting gloves, all that OCD stuff that some guys do. If you could eliminate that, make a guy even if it even if you had to make a guy keep a foot in the batter's box to get him to get him used to it, you know, yeah. to get him to to change to break those habits, I think that should be done because they let they let batters get out of the box for way too long now. It just all that slows the game. They've down They've been so changing much, that, that though. There's there's warnings and yeah. stuff, but I don't yeah. know if it's having that good of an effect. Um, Still see it too much. I think. I, I think the good change that's happening is is kind of the embracing all the antics and bat flips and that stuff like we talked yeah. about in the past even though it goes against everything that you know i was taught as a player is just keep your head down don't draw attention to yourself i i'm realizing having stepped away from the game that you know guys like griffey were who they were because of the attention they drew to themselves and and the, the swag they played with or whatnot so even if it doesn't sit well with a lot of older guys if it draws kids in and, and broadens the fan base i think it's a good thing that they're doing yeah, I don't mind at all, uh, especially if it's big moments. Guys shouldn't do it, you know, in a it, it's seven one and you game. hit a home run. Right, right. <laughs> You're still but down it, six. <laughs> if it's natural and it happens, it's uh, organic, and that's yeah. just a reaction. I like it, man. I like it. It's exciting, and kids like it. I like it. I, I mean, I don't mind saying I like I like seeing the bad flips. I don't mind yeah. it at all. But I liked. I even liked it in Toronto when it was so exaggerated when Joey Bats did it. Um, but you know what? I also don't mind the retaliation. No, that's part of it. Keep it all. That's part of it. Yeah, <laughs> keep that's it all. part of it. It's like Chipper said when he was on the podcast: the game is not going to forget. The game is going to get you, is going to let make you pay for that. So if Acuna wants to bat flip every time, and that's the way that's if he's flashy, he's going to occasionally get one in the ribs or brush back. It's when a guy takes it be way beyond uh, the. The reasonable uh, to pass the illogical extreme, like when this ridiculous Marlins pitcher throws the first hardest pitch of his <laughs> life on the first pitch of the next game and hits Acuna in the arm, could have hurt him, you know. But if you're good enough to hit a guy in the ass and you want to push or, or just to brush him back, I don't have a problem with that. That's part of it too. And, and, but I don't mind the bat flips at all. Yeah, I think the game just realizes that had it broke Acuna's elbow or forearm or something like that, how bad yeah. for the game it is to lose a guy like that and whatever. You yeah. know, I, I guess I understand that. I, I like brush back pitches, throwing it up by their face and knocking them down and not hitting them if you're good enough. Um, yeah. But you know, it's if I, well, I keep wondering, like pitchers keep taking the high road. I'm waiting for pitchers. If we're if we're pimping everything, I want to see pitchers start flipping their gloves or moonwalking <laughs> a little bit because they get way more opportunities. You know, that'd be the best way to shut it down if you don't like it. It's just to start playing the game right back. Well, some pitchers do some good stuff though. You know, with the walk off the mound and the little struts and all that, and the and the pointing to the sky. There are some guys that do it. It really stands out because so few do it. Yeah, Jenry Mejia used to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, until <laughs> he got suspended for life. <laughs> and then came back. Oh, oh let's go. Anything else? Um, 
let's see. Walt Stone, what is the thought process when deciding to throw a chase pitch? How close do you throw to the hitting zone? Usually you chase them out. You know, you, if they're chasing a slider, that's a, you basically you want to start it as a strike, but you don't want it to end up in the zone. So the thought process is basically, you know, throw it, throw it at that bottom away corner where they have to protect against a fastball and let it ride out of the zone. And if they've already yeah. chased something, you can you can chase them out of the zone or you can chase them back into it. You know, if, they, if they're uh-huh. laying off pitches down in the dirt, you know, kind of bring it up a little bit inch by inch and see what they will chase. But it kind of depends on the aggressiveness of a hitter because some guys are just up there hacking and you got to get a feel for that. But you don't want to burn a pitch against a guy that is really disciplined, so it might have to be a lot closer. But it's usually just – it's dictated by the hitter. You know, if Joey Votto's not chasing something a foot outside, so you got to you got to send it, you know, just right. three, four inches and, and still risk giving up a hit. But, yeah, it's just – it's different for every hitter. The thought process is do not hang it and leave it in the zone because they're probably looking soft if you're throwing a chase pitch. Well, there you go. We're out of time. Those are a lot of good questions. We didn't get to everyone. I'm sorry about that. But thanks again for all those questions, folks. That's it. We're going to be back here on Friday. Hopefully we have some more, uh, more maybe some updated news on uh, possibly starting the season. Who knows, man? Stay tuned because things are changing and there's a lot of talk. But uh, we're all crossing our fingers. And keep washing your hands and, 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 and keep doing the social distance thing. But don't screw this up. We came a long way, so we'd really suck yeah. to take a step back. You <laughs> that, know? No season if we do that. Yeah, yeah. so be, be smart, people. All right? Uh, it's been great. 755 is real, and we're out. See you.